tonight, Max, we're talking about Super Bowl 54. No, I mean, we're talking about anti-Semitism ultimately, but yeah, to, to warm ourselves up by the, by the fires of uh, safer topics, we're going to talk about how the Kansas City Chiefs are world champions, Super Bowl 54, curse words, curse words, curse words. At you. So yeah, it was last night. It was yesterday, and it was the literally everything ball. It was the literally like everything football. ball. Yeah, it was the literally everything ball. If, if if it was English football, it would be the literally everything derby. Uh, okay. Because That's it was the means. San Francisco 49ers. I'm a lifelong San Franciscan 49ers fan. Ethan is from Kansas City and is a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Who were the Niners' opponents? And the Kansas City Chiefs beat the 49ers as. I'm sure 99% of you guys uh, know already. Although that's a good segue for uh, the intellectual, literally everything angle on the Super Bowl, because I'm sure, you know, all the rabid sports fans who happen to be fans of the podcast might have already got their sports podcast on about this. And there's many of others of you out there who might not give a shit about sports. And this morning I was, you know, on my cloud nine after having waited 35 years of my life and negative 15 years of my pre-life for the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl since the last time they did it. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing all these people on Twitter, like, you know, kind of friends, colleagues, whatever, like, oh, who's even playing? I don't care. Football is so dumb. America's like a crumbling capitalist empire, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I was really exasperated by that take because it's so duh. And I felt like there's something to be said about the, uh, of course, reasonable critiques of football in the Super Bowl, but that they're so overwhelmingly obvious that I find the idea that it makes you smart to say them in 2020 like a little, I don't know, droll. Is that the right? Yeah, well, I mean, it is, it, it is the, you know, it is the center of the sports calendar in America. And that also means it, like everything around sports comes to a climax, including anti-sports people who say oh enjoy (laughs) the sports ball losers you know what i mean so i mean i've noticed that i've noticed even people getting pissed off in anticipation of seeing people like you know righteously dismissing sports people like get amped up leading up into the super bowl week to to yell at and and bully the non-sports fans you're always one level more meta i thought i was coming so meta with the like (laughs) you might think i don't like sports because i'm an academic but actually i like yesterday was one of the best days of my fucking life and fuck the haters but then like you're like double double triple down on me (laughs) no no but i mean it is it is something that has been percolating for sure is like Everything kind of comes to a head, and it's it's the time for everyone to talk about politics and as how it relates to sports. I guess it, it wasn't that accentuated this year, um, although there was this case where, like, you know, the 49ers star young rookie uh, defensive player Nick Bosa was, like, famous for having pro-Trump statements when he was in college. Oh, really? I didn't know that. It down. Yeah, he toned it down. He had all these like tweets of saying MAGA and stuff like that. Oh wow! Even and, more reason to um, hate him. He deleted him. all of them. He deleted all of them before the draft. And they said, "Why did you delete all of those posts about politics?" And he said, "Because the 49ers are probably going to draft me," <laughs> implying like it's a liberal town. Like I can't, I can't have that kind of persona anymore. At least um, he got the fucking so, message. Yeah. So it was him, and then like 
that was the kind of main thing I could think of. I could think of a few political things, but and, and we'll get into them. But before that, I just want to say, like, it's so banal to point out that football is like a barbaric sport that is in alignment with the shitty parts of America. Like, yeah, when people say things on Twitter that were unoriginal 20 years before the internet existed, I'm like, I really wish the internet weren't created so that you didn't think that like this new technology makes your obvious idea like gives it some sort of new urgency to be a voice because it's not out into the world. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, that being said, yeah. Racism, Kaepernick, concussions, kneeling, Jay-Z, like, I mean, these are all signifiers. I I, mean, like discuss all them, you know, the, you know, there were these commercials with Anquan Bolden, former NFL great receiver. Right. Yeah. Was was it his brother was killed by a off-duty police officer? Was that what it was? Really? I didn't even know that. See, my, my, my take on that ad was that this is like the, the runaround that they were giving to Kaepernick. Like there was a players group. That was the NFL's like, you know, safe version of what Kaepernick represented. But at the same yeah. time, maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. And like maybe Anquan Bolden was on the right side. Um, and I'm like combining these two things that I know about, like the split in the players no, 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 you, group. You, and then this, this ad your out. assessment is right. So like on one side is like Jay-Z... Anquan Bolden and like you know, a, a bunch of other players who are working on this media initiative that's kind of, you know, it's about also a big part of it is educating police like about, you know, about this issue. Bias. Yeah, stuff, and yeah. about like racial implicit bias and all this kind of stuff. And so this, you know, can become one of those classical like, are you a radical or are you like an institutionalist? Do you like work within the system or do you stay outside of the system? For whatever it's worth of having our voices in the podcast on this, like, I'm with Kaepernick insofar as it's like completely fucked that he's been like blackballed and, and, you know, not hired. That being said, I think that like it's a better world. And I think it always needs to be radicals who are pulling the institutional through the system type people to, you know, pulling the efforts that they do in a more radical direction. There's no way this thing would have happened without Kaepernick in the first place. But like Killer Mike, uh, who's like, Big Bernie, bro, like he super down with this initiative. He was super down with Jay-Z, like putting this together. I think Jay-Z, who also is like got J-Lo and Shakira to do the halftime show, because like last year, some like uh, they said that like a lot of entertainers didn't want to do it because of uh, Kaepernick. So like you could say, yeah. you know, are, is it, are they like, it's like unions. Are they, you know, from a Marxist perspective, are unions sell out because they ultimately like cut deals with management, you know, but like, or is the world a better place because by cutting this deal, they make a different reality than, you know, the, stat- the status quo ante. And so you can, like, pick whatever side of that you're on. I'm kind of on, like, a little bit both sides, I guess you can tell. But I don't think that ad is, like, between you and me, it's like, yeah, that's, like, the NFL. And they've aired it before, covering their ass. But, like, I also think I'm glad fucking 60 million Americans saw that because for a lot of Americans, that is way beyond something that, that's coming into their world otherwise, you know? And that's yeah. a good thing. Yeah, possibly. No, of course. I mean, well, it's one of those things like when we were talking about the literary canon last episode, you said something like it's the DNA sequence of of what of our culture or it's like an X-ray into it. And like that's the way I think of the Super Bowl. Like it's a it's the DNA. You can like get a cross section Mm. of the DNA sequence of American culture, contemporary American culture, for better or worse. Like the Anquan Bolden thing is part of that. Like there are. You know, people think that American culture is just totally superficial, just dumbasses like crushing monster energy drinks 
and riding dirt bikes and stuff. But like <laughs> people do talk about this these kind of issues around dinner tables. I think it is in the culture. That's an, that's an aspect of it. But then there's everything else. You know, there's like the fucking like planner's peanut getting killed and then coming back as a baby. <laughs> and it's like the same thing as baby Groot coming back and baby Yoda and like everyone becoming babies for some reason. Uh, what like what did we deal with that? That's something window to think about. onto that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, good point. Yeah, there's, there's I, the that's sports, what your brother your brother was saying something about that on Twitter, but I just like yeah, I was like, dude, you're too. I, I like he should know better than anyone that I love his Twitter feed, but like sometimes I, he, he's like so in the meta deadpan to the twentieth tw- mm-hmm. power. I'm just like I like lose the point because I don't. I'm conversational on Twitter, but I'm not like at a native speaking level yet. Right? Yes, you miss out on the nuance. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I just true. have to smile. There's when twenty. They, there's twenty different ways of being ironic on Twitter, you know. So you have to figure out which one is being used. Yeah, like and and so what the sports is there too, like the militarism that comes with the sports. Although I about the militarism, I've always also found that revealing in a way that it doesn't mean to be, which is, for example, in in baseball, especially after nine eleven, they started singing "God Bless America." Uh, in addition to the seventh inning and to take me out to the ball game in the seventh inning stretch. And I believe at the Yankees, yeah. they still do that like every game in New York. God bless America. Yeah, I believe so. I think they do at the Giants too. The, they de- I haven't been in a while since. Yeah. God bless the Royals for not doing that at a certain point. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. one, a few years after 9-11, they kind of phased that shit out. But like in Kansas City but the, the, what I always thought was like such a, a, an obvious reveal that happens in the sports world is that thank you to our troops which is like hey 364 days a year like you don't exist and we don't give a fuck that like we like economically like you know kind of graft poor people into fighting wars abroad by thanking them once a year it just exposes the lie that there's any kind of gratitude or commitment because it's such a hollow thank you to like at the game, like, take a second to, like, be like, oh, thanks for fighting wars. Like, one of the most fucking fundamental things of, like, that makes this nation be what it is. Well, yeah, but, but I mean, so, but it's not like they're thanking them once. I mean, the whole idea of thanking service members Im- imbues the NFL and, to to a lesser extent, all American professional sports, right? So, I mean, way more football changed. than the other ones, but... Yeah, way more football is, but football is the most American of sports. So it like crystallizes and intensifies everything. Maybe, well, you could make it an argument that actually NBA is, but yeah, um, I was thinking about that, but for for different reasons. Um, But well, NBA is like blue state American, (laughs) NFL is red state American. But in any case, they're always, I mean, they're always thinking troops. Like if you go to a, a, a baseball game, the way they talk about the national anthem is about thanking troops. And I never, maybe I was wrong. And maybe the, the, the idea of singing the national anthem at ball games was always meant to be specifically about the troops. But when I was young, my understanding of it was, it was about patriotism and civic virtue in general. Yeah, me too. It was like saying the pledge of allegiance when you were in elementary school before you sit down and take your pencil out. Like that was my sense of it. This is another thing I was thinking of. It's like it's it's all about how any any kind of subject matter, any kind of thing that exists in the world, how can you take it and make it digestible and monetizable in this context? Because that's what the Super Bowl is really about, ultimately. Um, well, that's what all entertainment so is about. The, the way you take 
like they they want to hump the flag right they want to talk about the troops but like how do you take that and make it into the most palatable kind of sentimental easily sellable version of it and that is by yes celebrating their sacrifice but celebrating their sacrifice by showing the happy reunion all the time right they don't show people missing limbs insofar as they do show people with lingering effects of of what they were put through it's always about fighting through it you're a wounded warrior you're still fighting the war yeah no they don't even get Um, to that but it's not to even that level of detail it's just like but it what it's like but it's not ultimately it's not about the troops i mean and like we've spent probably I didn't mean for us to go so deep on this, but like it's about the yeah. it's about the crowd or you know the the spectators like the yeah flattering their, it, yeah. they're like flattering themselves like they are we're the type of people who take off our hat for like forty five seconds isn't that great and the fact that that's what they think is sufficient you know is like comical but I do want to say something about progressive politics and the Super Bowl. Here's my only point, you know, okay, so, you know, I have like the, you know, the you, you could think of like the person who's like, fuck sports, fuck football, fuck the Super Bowl because it's blah, blah, blah. And by the way, I've had years where I was really pissed at the NFL for all these things. And it's, I think, morally speaking, all those points are extremely valid. Yeah, during the first few Kaepernick years, I was like very much, barely ever paid attention to the NFL because I was disgusted. It but helped the Niners, the Niners really suck, though, and then, right? <laughs> and then I kind of kind of started watching yeah, it. Same yeah. with the Chiefs. But what I was going to say is, you know, especially in America where there, where our collective experience is ever more fractured, you have something like, even, uh, I'll give you a different example. Will and Grace, at the end of the day, America saw a huge sea change in attitudes toward homosexuality from as recently as the like 2004, all these states were passing constitutional amendments in the state of there will never be gay marriage here. It was like mm-hmm. a, it was like a, a, a an issue that was like even in like quote unquote moderate states was winning like 80 20 against gay marriage, and like in less than a decade that flipped. And and how and why did that flip? And I would say how and why that flipped is Ellen and Will and Grace and like mass cons- not like radical. You know, it, it didn't flip because of the ball scene. It flipped because of like very like digestible consumable mainstream you know representations of of gay people and homosexuality that just got people used to it in a way or just like you know there's a lot of other factors but like i think that that like massaged the process a lot and there's a lot of these commercials that like the easy thing to do i feel like if you're kind of of an academic mindset is to be like oh this is like airsats progressivism or they're like they're recruiting this progressive political idea in order to sell me credit cards and cars. And that's, that's true on one level. But the fact mm. that progressive political ideas are being used in Super Bowl ads, like very, I think sometimes like centerpiece, heavy handed in a good way. And if you're from a part of the country like where I'm from, and by the way, Kansas City itself as a city is, is, is on the liberal side, but it's you know, adjacent to the suburbs and the rural parts of the country that are deep red. That's a big fucking deal. Like commercials, it, it, you know, or like short, you know, little narratives uh, with like Ellen and her wife getting in the car. Like that's, a, like that's actually a big fucking deal that I think does soften minds and prepare the groundwork for change. It does a lot more than like 
radical academic Twitter. Like as a person who I want to devote my life to being in a college class, and I'm going to tell you like that commercial is going to do more than all the classes I will ever teach to like open people up on, on, that, on that issue. And, and I think the Super Bowl is the staging ground for that kind of stuff is powerful. There is a lot to unpack there. Unpack. Um, and I can't, I can't, yeah, I can't get to all of it. I would say we could have a whole episode talking about the points you just made there. We should probably have, have a guest who knows a little bit more about what happened with gay rights in this century. We, we could pick other um, issues too. Or we could just talk out our asses. Like, we yeah, like now we're done. That's fine. No, but what were you going to say My something thing about with, commercials? Yeah. Uh, the ads. So here's what I think. I don't have an opinion on the ads. No one should have opinions on the ads. Here's the new thing. We just don't have opinions. We don't care because it doesn't, they have taken the fact that you might hate the ad and they're using it against you yes. to get you to talk about the ad. Totally. And the whole thing, the whole gesture where they're fucking with you to be like, you love it, but also you hate it. And possibly some of you are going to love it. Some of you are going to hate it. Either way, it's going to be a thing that is going to, uh, like it, it doesn't matter whether you like it or hate it. And that has nothing to do with what we're trying to accomplish here. Right. And it's, it is just like, it has digested all possible like reactions to mm. it, all these ads. And so my whole thing is just who cares? I don't dislike ads. Ads are fine, but I also don't like them. Well, but, it's but just, Max, they're do, just do there. You, like I would say there were some commercials that were objectively funny. And some were even maybe good. Yeah, would, would you, them, would you say that face? you saw any and you're like, that was good. That was a good one. Yeah, they made me chuckle. Are you, are you but, allowed to you say know, that in your a, system? A, yeah, I don't have any opinion. It was a joke. It made me chuckle. I have no a further opinion than that. <laughs> I can't remember what it was for. I guess that's common. But what's his face? Uh, Cal Drogo, when he, was, when he was a skinny guy, that was kind of funny. But, you know, I'm not going to go around and like, see, this is the whole thing. Now we're talking about on our content. We're talking about their content. Yeah. That's the whole point. Yeah. They're like, make it sticky, st- make some sticky, snackable content. It's like, no, we're not going to participate. Interesting. I have no opinion on any ads. I take back what I said earlier. It, I didn't, didn't chuckle. And he doesn't even remember what the product was. That would be better. And I definitely don't. Oh, I definitely don't. I, I honestly don't. But anyways, let's talk about the game. I'm going to give you my take on the game. You can give me Yeah, yours. losers you first. You maybe go first. have some more. Ex- yeah, losers, losers first. Fair enough. It was not very painful to me to watch this game. Because, wait, can I tell, can I tell the other... listeners why? Why? It wasn't painful because Max shields himself from emotional vulnerability in sports. That's not true. That's not true. You're so fucking wrong right now. That's not See, even ah, true. Compared to the Ravens Super Bowl, I really wanted us to win that one. And they came really close to winning yeah. it on the last play. Yeah. And that was that was one of the worst fucking things. The worst sporting memory of my life was 2002, the Giants blowing the World Series to yeah. the, Angels. Oh, it was the Angels. But this wasn't even close. What would have been worse, too, was when the Warriors lost to the Cavs after the 3-1 lead. But I was, like, out of the country and didn't see it. So I thought this was, like, just basically... I knew the, the script. It's like Kyle Shanahan has a hard time protecting leads and the chiefs are very good at coming back pat Mahomes is like the best player on the field and he's explosive and i just thought like i when we when the diners were up by 10 points in the fourth quarter i'm like well you know still like it's a coin toss they could definitely come back that's kind of what they do it's what we do is give up these leads so he made a few plays uh it was like three or four plays that he made and three or four plays that 
Jimmy Garoppolo didn't make, and that was the game. That was it. It's too bad because like they played pretty yeah. well in a lot of other yeah. ways, but that that was like what it came down to. My deep analysis is that you know the best player on the field was your quarterback, and he won the game for you guys. Yeah, I like your analysis better than than Bill Simmons's for, for what that's worth. If that's a good start, which was what? What was it? That he was like the Chiefs didn't win. Shanahan lost. It's all Shanahan's fault. He's a fucking idiot. And like, if you actually go into the plays, that's it, that totally doesn't hold up. There's like one play call. Garoppolo had he had guys he could have. Yeah, and the Chiefs made like, plays. There was one the, huge play there. He missed a guy. He missed a guy. Missed we batted the, the ball down yeah. on a, on a pass that, that it's a superhuman effort for Chris Jones to bat that ball down. If he doesn't bat it down, it's a great play call. Um, Kittle's open. That was like second and five, and then you guys run the clock out, and. Some people say you guys should have run in that play, but we we were stuffing the run maybe one out of every three or four. We weren't like getting, you know, we did stop the run at some points. So I think, you know, it's a coin toss there. We made plays. Like yeah. my, my thing is like, yeah, you guys played like incredible. It was, it was you know, it was, I think it was one of the best matchups we'll see for a long time as far as the 49ers strengths and the Chiefs strengths were, you know, very kind of invert, like spy versus spy, you know, kind of like, yeah. Our team was so impressed. I saw in the post-game interviews, which I watched till one in the morning, like with, w- with, the, with the defense, like with your defense. But I think that like, I don't, I don't think it was just, Mah- I mean, he did step up and start doing the shit he does. But like, I think it was like the, the rest of our team, like finally, like the receivers got open. Mahomes did like dive for a first down head first at one point that was like a huge difference maker. Our running back had like a like an amazing dive over Richard Sherman for a touchdown that was like at an angle that like defies physics but worked. And to me, like that's that's kind of what sports is all about. Is like I, I was telling my partner this earlier tonight. It's like it's like love, Max. Sports is like love, and love has heartbreak, right? But yeah, for sure, you can't you can't put it into words. But you like so much of what you learn about how life works. You learn from this like ineffable thing. Like I can we can put into words like what you said about like you guys had the best player. That's like you know that's comprehensible. But there's just like there's like momentum, and you guys had it. It's like a ghost. We just like s- stole it out of your fucking soul, you know, and like put it in our soul. And you saw when it happened. It was like the ghost switched sides. It wasn't in your bodies. It was in ours. And, and there's just all these kind of like ineffable things. And, and that's why we have kids play sports, I think. It's just like, yeah, we're going to tell you all this stuff in school and we're going to tell you to be a good teammate. But then there's all these other things that like you have to just like see them and experience them. Will and drive and and like when shit is like tough shit and like all these things that you just have to like like perform and experience and witness it to like learn it and, and, and see and like have that reverberate and, and you start doing that as a kid so some people say sports is like oh it's all these grown-ups like acting like children but I think it's more about like a continual learning process of like in this case like you're never out of it till the very end you know don't give up at, at a minimum yeah I mean and it's not always necessarily um lessons that can be boiled exactly down. the mean, best ones can't be sports people love like boiling down the the sports lessons into a, a few sentences uh, yeah but, I think they can't I mean, be it, it sports sports can teach you about like what it means to be human what it means not only like to have a, 
a human body and do things with it. Um, to like try your fucking best to, and it doesn't matter. You're human sometimes. with yeah to compete against other people to to have camaraderie with your teammates, all that kind of stuff, and all of our favorite things, history, oh, yeah. literature. Those teach us about what it means to be human uh, as well, and what is life, but the process of figuring out what it is to be human. Bill Doon, bro. The way I would wrap it. What? Bill Doon. Bill, oh, <laughs> Bill Doon. Yeah. Bill Doon. Okay. <laughs> Bill. <laughs> I think he's saying, talking about some guy named Bill. Bill uh, like yeah. Bill Doon. Yeah, like the yeah German word for education. Um, also about a kind of uh, process of spiritual growth. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and like all the banal shit, like oh, 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 what we were saying about like it's this, it's that. I, my point is to say that those are banal banalities and like it's so much more than that. And that's why you watch it and like you're not like talking in essays while you watch the game, but you're feeling in spiritual essays if you're like connected to the teams and shit. Or even if you're not, but especially if you are. All right. All right. Well, good talking to you. I'm already over it. Of course you are. I'm not, I don't even care. You never cared. Sometimes it hurts, man. But this wasn't even like top five. Well, Painful. You're fortunate to have had so many Painful championships to, to rank your pains. Well, but it makes it hurt less. Yeah, no, it's, I know. It's, it's good fortune. It, it hurt. Yeah. Like I said, I had to wait 20 negative right, well, years. Well, now and after I, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. All right. Well, um, still waiting on that first San Jose Sharks uh, <laughs> Stanley Cup. That's what I really just am yearning for. And my life won't be complete until it happens. Yeah, I'd say I'm pretty much uh, fulfilled. A, a Missouri Tigers NCAA tournament championship would be nice, but that will actually never happen. So it's cool. So shall we talk about anti-Semitism? Max, let's talk about anti-Semitism. talking to you tonight again about the jewish question palate cleanser next time on like medieval islamic civilization yeah happy to do it i would love that yeah let's do it yeah islam rocks okay but but tonight we're talking about before we convert yes before we convert just kidding mom yeah she doesn't listen to this we have had in the past few months, a lot of conversation about anti-Semitism in a variety of contexts that includes uh, the British election with Jeremy Corbyn and uh, accusations that labor has an anti-Semitism problem, as well as the recent attacks, a kind of wave of attacks in the New York area, which is the the most Jewish part of America um, over the holidays. Like violent attacks targeting ultra-Orthodox Jews. Yes. Yeah, so, so yes. So like kind of extreme level attacks, assaults on um, visibly Jewish people in, in the New York area. And then finally, in the background of all that, there is this situation where we have Donald Trump um, and a ascendant right wing nationalist movement in this country uh, and a rise of anti-Semitic attitudes. So I think that Ethan kind of wants to present an oral essay and uh, he's going to try and synthesize these various phenomena into 
a narrative that we can all digest and that also that me and him can discuss. So I would love to hear what you have to say about all this, Ethan. Oh, thanks, Max. That's an awesome setup. So especially after the, the killings in Jersey City at a supermarket where, was it four or five Jews were killed by like black Hebrews, who, which is mm. this like radical uh, African-American sect. Um, They're kind of like the nation of Islam is to Sunni Islam as like, so they're like that to Judaism, Judaism. but also like if the nation of Islam was like a parody of itself. So they kind of lack the, the positive qualities that that nation of Islam would have has, I would argue, which would Um, be like, which would be a kind of bringing um, like, you know, Malcolm X, for example. Okay. But he but he became a proper Muslim like yes later. so he left it so there was a split and I would say well we don't need to get into it. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah much yeah, of yeah, a yeah. conversation about the nation of Islam but That's like nation of Islam like they are serious people and the black Israelites are kind of silly you know what I mean they're like dressed up like pharaohs on the street corner yelling homophobic shit at passersby you know what i mean yeah they once yelled at um my friend buddy a friend of mine who's from kansas city with me and they were telling him how like in heaven they were gonna like whip him and um and he's like well like he just started conversing with them kind of like i guess in a very naively naively maybe a tiny bit of trolling you know but like he's he's a soft-spoken guy and so he was just like well why and they're like um, well, like, uh, like you, you know, you're white and so you're rich and like all this stuff and like the Jews are rich and he's like, and he's like, I'm white and I'm Jewish, but I'm not rich. And they're like, you're not rich. Well, then you're nothing but a two time fool. <laughs> yeah. So it's just not, I mean like, but it is a bit, but basically like sociologically and institutionally, it is like very similar to the nation of Islam's like relationship to mainstream Islam. Like you know which is I mean? to say like, we actually have the authentic version of this. Um, it, it, I'll just give the the Jewish case. like the Jews aren't really the Jews were the Jews, and they're like this kind of satanic um, force that controls the world and is like deceiving everybody and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and then also that it, like you know it's kind of it it they recruit a lot of people in prison. They get people the black to change it. Yeah, so yeah, so they get people to turn their life around with a kind of strict moral code. Um, that's certainly the case in the nation of Islam. I don't know that much about about black Israelites, but they get people to turn their lives around, but then they get them into this kind of weird ideology. So yeah, so that's why I, I see those parallels. But anyway, so yeah, so that, so the worst the worst kind of example of this wave of violence was that, which is a kind of they had a it was planned and they were trying to go to a Jewish school. I'll pull up like a Jane Coaston who is a really interesting voice on this. She's like a senior political reporter at Vox. She herself is African-American. She's not Jewish, but has studied, I think she did like a thesis on anti-Semitism. So very knowledgeable about Jewish, like, or anti, like specifically the history of anti-Semitism. So, and then there was a the guy that went into Muncie with the machete and he, uh, didn't kill anyone, but like it could have. So the, yeah, the, the, the shooters in, in Jersey City were targeting a yeshiva school that's attached to the supermarket. And so anyway, that was a really interesting moment because that happened the day after Trump issued this directive to change an executive order that changes federal law to some extent for what constitutes discrimination against 
you know, uni universities or entities that receive public money are not allowed to discriminate on the basis of race. Uh, okay, here we go. Title okay. VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, um, this is from the Times, bans discrimination in programs that receive federal aid on the basis of race, color, or national origin, but not religion. It's like these three things in Judaism had, or Jewishness had never like explicitly been one of those three things. Mm -hmm. Although it, um, according to a lot of the stuff I read, it was treated that way in common practice. But it came out as like the way it was reported was that that Trump says that Jews are a nation and people were all freaking out yeah, saying that this which, is like an anti-Semitic like, turning us into another. But like the whole thing is accurate, like, that's not it. That's like the whole point is to target like pro-Palestinian pro yeah. activists. Well, yes, yeah, so, but so let's, let's like flesh that out a little bit. Okay. Okay. And so uh, what this order does is it adds anti-Semitism to that. It doesn't specify whether anti-Semitism is fitting under race or nationality uh, or color. It's just added to that. So it's kind of that's open to interpretation, whether it implies that Jews are a nation in that sense. But basically, so um, at, at Vox, they summarized it sort of like this. If uh, a group of bullies believe all Jews are Israeli, even though that's incorrect, and they beat up or harass Jewish students on that basis, it would be interpreted by the law as that they're discriminating against them on the basis of national origin. Or, or if, I can give another example. If someone, someone's an American Sikh and that person that is wearing a turban and a very ignorant person thinks that they're like an Arab Muslim and beats them up and is like, go which back. Which happens a, a which, lot of the time. Which, which yeah. happens, exactly. And they say, go back to, I don't know, Iraq. That even though Iraq is not the national origin of that person, because that was the basis of the prejudice that motivated the attack, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's a thing that's prohibited by this by this uh, part of the Civil Rights Act. Gotcha. Now, what was controversial was that um, the definition of anti-Semitism that they used is a definition that is from the like International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, and a few years ago, the guy who wrote that definition who's a professor at Emory named uh, Kenneth Stern, said they should not ever use this for Title VI because it would suppress free speech. Like, this definition it would not work in that context because, okay. among other things, the definition includes certain... It doesn't say any criticism of Israel, but certain forms of criticism of Israel, like comparing Israelis to Nazis is one thing, and I think the second thing is just denying... Um, Jews, the right of self-determination, that those two things, according to that definition, are anti-Semitic. And so it puts in place this, if you apply it as part of Title VI, something where theoretically someone who's criticizing Israel, um, you know, would uh, would be, you know, their university would be subject to censure, you know, or punishment um, if that led to harassment of Jewish students. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. And I mean, like, that's that's the weird thing is that, like, everyone kind of knew it was all about this right-wing overall, like, long-term program of combating pro-Palestinian activism on college campuses and elsewhere. But they, but there was some kind of need, I think because of the way it was reported out, like, really, honestly, the wording and the way it was reported out in the in the first place, like, defining Jewishness as a nationality, that people really got freaked out about it. And, like, 
that's, I think it's a really good example of what we want to talk about tonight because it's like Jewishness being in this kind of vortex between discrimination and privilege, you know, because it's like basically he's Mm. trying to privilege Jews. He's trying to, I mean, not all Jews, but he's trying to, like he's trying to protect the the Trump administration is trying to protect what they see as a Jewish interest by well, cracking down on pro Palestinian. Yeah, let me finish that. By, by cracking down on pro Palestinian protest, but at the same time doing it in a way that calls one's mind that like brings one's mind back to you know the battle days when Jews were otherized, so to speak and um, turned into something distinct from the national communities that they belong to. Um, and that was the basis for, you know, discrimination against them and, go, you know, going into violence and genocide. Yeah. So it's also plausible that the Trump administration is doing this to deflect attention, you know, there, from the explicit and overt anti-Semitism of Donald Trump. And so in, in this, this is actually kind of like the core thing for me is, is how vexing a figure John, Donald Trump is in the Jewish community. You know, by the numbers, whatever, over 80 percent of Jews did not vote for Donald Trump. You know, it was in like the teens, I think, the percent, you know. So by the numbers, mm-hmm. most Jews like weren't going to vote for Trump the same as they don't vote for Republicans in general. But he is his daughter is converted to Judaism, his son-in-law, who's very visibly part of his administration and, you know, his brain trust is um, Orthodox Jew. And yeah, they're observant. Observant they're Orthodox, Orthodox Jews, Jews. So his grandchildren yeah. are Jewish. And, and, and he's surrounded like um, himself with a lot of Jewish uh, advisors and lawyers and, and confidants and various figures like that. So he, there's like this hyper visible um, type of pro-Trump or Trump supporting Jew, not Trump supporting like they go to the rallies, but Trump supporting like they're on the stage, you know, and then that makes, I think it's, confusing for just if we're zooming out for people who aren't like thinking about this type of stuff all the time like oh well then you know how do you square that with like that it's widely perceived that he's anti-semitic and the anti-semitism thing so a a lot of people were he had recently it was i think this was actually maybe a few days after you know he'd said the thing about he's he has told jews like they called netanyahu your prime minister as yeah. if um, American Jews are not, you know, that their head of state is the Israeli head of state. But um, he was speaking to like this Jewish organization. This is this is great. This is like what he said on December 9th. Quote from the president. A lot of you are in the real estate business because I know you very well. You're brutal killers, not nice people at all. But you have to vote for me. You have no choice. You're not going to vote for Pocahontas. I can tell you that by which he means Warren, you're not going to vote for the wealth tax. So he's already implying, you know, kind of Jewish greed, Jewish financial self-interest. Some of you don't like me. Some of you I don't like at all, actually. And you're going to be my biggest supporters because you're going to be out of business in about 15 minutes if they get it, meaning the Democrats get the presidency. So, like, pretty amazing, you know. Okay, but that, that, but to me that reflects the kind of lowbrow stereotyping and it, and it reflects the fact that he his his idea of the world has not progressed beyond that of a New York real estate guy. You know, well, isn't a New York real I'm sure that he stereotypes with this whole thing. Yeah, of course, it is stereotypical. Like, he is de- dealing in, in harmful stereotypes about Jews. I'm not trying to excuse it. But 
it's different from something like Steve Bannon, who is conceiving of, you know, Jews as being globalists who are behind worldwide conspiracies to dilute the purity of, you know, European bloodlines. You know Although what I mean? Trump so, has so I think used, it's important. has used that rhetoric in this is the thing I debate with one of my brothers is like he he's used the term globalist. Like, does he understand that that is? I don't think he understands okay. it at all. I think he's yeah. just like an he's like sure. a, a dude who's just. He thinks of Jews as the Jews that he knew from being a New York real estate guy, which is like half half of them are Jewish people, right? It's the ones he yeah, still including... he still knows. So let's, I mean, let's qualify that. Like numerically speaking, it also just from like knowledge of my family and their business. Like not all Jews in real estate in New York are quote unquote brutal killers or whatever. Um, For sure, the, but, he, but the, he's he's speaking metaphorically, right? He's like they're good businessmen. That's what he means because he thinks he said that as a compliment. I don't know though. He's saying I don't, you don't like me, and I don't like you. It's like he's because they're competitors. Uh, I think he's trying to say you guys are liberal and don't want to vote for me, but you're also you're like the type maybe of, yeah socially liberal yeah this like but he said he's I making he's an appeal to like their Robert economic Kraft. interests. He's saying I think he's talking about his friends like Gary Cohn, who is the chief economic advisor, and um, who the Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, and Robert Kraft, who's a big donor, lifelong Democrats who would pro- at least in his view, and maybe it's tr- or, or not just in his view. Sorry, um, it's probably empirically true. Don't want to be taxed in a you know more progressive far left way and he's saying like you guys will tolerate whatever you don't like about me to keep your money because that's all you care about i think mm-hmm. i think you're being a little generous to say that that it's like it's like he's like no he's absolutely the that, but like game but he, of aggressive but, but I, real estate businessman yeah but i think he identifies with it that's the whole point like he under he he's like you guys are greedy you just care about the bottom line you're just like me that's the whole thing. Like he's not. Well, he's saying you're you're going to end up on my side. Yeah, but I. But I. But, I think but see, he's, I think he's that drawing he's, a little more of a distinction. He's drawing an opposition. I mean, he, and, and he's drawn it before when he was running for president. He said, "This is another quote: You're not going to support me because I don't want your money. You want to control your politicians. That's fine. You know, I think that he. There's a sense of an antithesis there. You know, the Jews have their agenda, and it's at times contrary to mine, but they're going to have to support me despite that opposition because of their like larger, you know, money driven priorities or something. I think that's the subtext. Interesting. I don't think he's like, it's, we can agree to disagree. disagree. I don't think he's seeing anything like essential about Jewishness that he's saying there. He's like, you guys are rich guys like me. You're like socially liberal. But I mean, I think that he's, like the way he sees Jews is like basically the Manhattan elite that he feels like he was rejected by. Yeah. But I mean, I do think I'm not trying to excuse it. It's like but it's a, it's a kind of it's important to distinguish between different forms of anti-Semitism because it's not all the same. Right. Like there is his kind, which is this like dumb stereotyping, which is like bad and everything. But then there's the <laughs> con- world conspiracy Jewish people trying to you know uh, yeah dominate the world and then there's the everyday kind of like encounters with visibly jewish people which is what we're going to talk about later as well these are all these are all totally different kinds of like socio they have a totally different like sociological basis yeah i think there's there's some overlaps especially with the of course yeah because it's all yeah of course the globalist stuff but like the last thing i'll just say about like trump as an individual in anti-semitism um another friend of mine i won't quote him by name but has He's the kind of anti-Semite who so believes in Jewish 
superpower in an evil way. Like he wants to keep them close because he really believes that we do run everything. Do you get what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Um, because, well, I mean, his whole life is around powerful rich Jews. That's what I'm saying. Like he's, it's not. But I think that comes out of a, 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 I don't think this is like a casual anti-Semitism. I think this is a worldview about who controls the world. And I, in, in, in that sense, it's, it is parallel to a lot of the type of anti-Semitic conspiracy theories you have on the far right and you have in the Nation of Islam. That, like, he wants us around because, like, in his mind, we, like, have way more power than we actually do. Okay. You don't think so? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what's in this guy's heart. Sure. I don't know what he believes. It's impossible to know. I mean, it's, he's a completely fluid kind of persona. So it's 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 very difficult to say. I mean, as we as we were mentioning, he has a Jewish son-in-law who he, who he I think has what whatever passes for affection in <laughs> Yeah, Donald I don't Trump. think like I don't think he has like human Jared. love for his for his children though anyway, including his like actual children. Like I think he like wants to have sex with Ivanka and then the yeah, other Yeah, he has a sexual uh, fixation and with the Ivanka, the other sure. ones though, you know, I think he would like like take or leave take or leave okay so we've been going for a while um but we still haven't got to any of ethan's points so like why don't you just go through a few of them and then i can respond to them in so far as i can yeah 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 okay basically like the events in december the, the the executive order like right amidst the violence um in new york caused me to rethink a lot of the thoughts that i've had about Trump, the Trump era and anti-Semitism. And I think that's a good thing because you sh- events should cause you to rethink things. But my kind of running thesis throughout the Trump era overall is that American Jews underestimate how dangerous he is for Jews. There's American Jews who, as liberals, are like, oh, it's really not cool that he's, you know, like putting people in cages and separating mothers from children at the border, or it's not cool that you know, whatever other thing he, he's done, but that American Jews, I think, both on the left and the right, have really underappreciated how much his entire movement and discourse raises the danger of harm to Jews. And, um, you know, the shootings in Pittsburgh by a shooter who was motivated by conspiracy theories that Trump has propagated and that are part of a whole kind of philosophy that the Trump movement it's kind of the central philosophy of the Trump movement, which is that America is like, you know, white America is in danger of being destroyed by immigrants and it's an existential danger and, you know, it's life or death. And that behind those forces that are, you know, that the forces that will destroy America are not just the Latin American immigrants themselves, but it's kind of, you know, political correctness and multiculturalism and all this leftist stuff. And in the the far right's ideological vocabulary, the Jews are behind all of that. And so therefore, their, Fox News had an image of a Jewish star on a truck a, amongst the migrant caravan. And that made its rounds. A, a Republican congressman, I think, in Florida uh, tweeted it. And it made its rounds in the right wing media sphere of basically the Jews are behind the migrant caravan. And the shooter in Pittsburgh believed that Hias, the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, which is a group that resettles refugees, he knew that that group was supported by the Tree of Life congregation. And, you know, so again, it's part, he didn't just like wake up one day and want to do this. He was very clear in documenting the 
things he thought was happening in the world and the reason he felt the Jews were like such a threat to white people that they needed to be killed. That's out there. There's a lot more people than him who have been, I think, extra motivated by the Trump movement. And so and I don't think they're necessarily listening to Trump say you guys are brutal killers and at a speech in Florida um, to, to, to Jews at like in a ballroom and, you know, getting motivated by that. But they're getting motivated by his whole worldview and the worldview of the. Movement. Yeah, well, I think that I, I, can I can yeah. I just interrupt really Go quickly? Yeah, yeah. I do think that what you're saying about the idea of Jews being behind this progressive assault on all that is traditional and everything we valued and all that is white in our society. That's like absolutely true. Um, and I do, I do think that that has encouraged these kind of attacks, but there is a distinction to be made between the Trump movement and Trump himself. So when I was like saying, Oh, Trump's kind of version of anti-Semitism is naive or whatever. I mean, I do believe that, but that's about what's in Trump's mind, which we don't really know, and it's probably jumbled anyways. But then there's a Trump movement, and I think that what it is but about the words Trump is that he's coming out of his mouth drive. Yes, the they kind of gesture towards it, but I don't think they're the main driving force. I think what mm. Trump represents is a license for people. He's like you can you can like all that stuff, all that like ugly shit that's inside you, like let it out. He like gives people permission yes. to express the ugliest parts. And I think that it's it's not necessarily his words, but people who support him, their words that are like echoing around in people's brains and encouraging this kind of radicalization. So anyways, that's what well, I think, but yeah, um, uh, you can continue. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll put that to the side. I, 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 did, I think it's a little more direct than that. Um, but it's, it's, I, 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 it's funny that, you know, the people that make me the most upset are the you know the the Jared Kushner, the Jews who are around him, um, who don't see this or who believe the, the court Jews, the court yeah the court Jews and 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 I like I have a dream of writing like a longer essay about this where I explain kind of Hannah Arendt's arguments and origins of totalitarianism about the court Jews in, in the 18th and 19th century and how that parallels you know Jews on the right wing today. Yeah, sounds great. I'd love to read it. Oh, I'd love to write it. If I, if I only had the time and discipline. So, I, you know, I think just like a lot of American Jews, they, they don't, if you don't pay attention to the far right internet and you don't have a strong sense of the ideological history of the modern, of modern right wing thought and modern right wing movements, the, a lot of what I'm saying will just sound like, you, have, you know, unfamiliar. But, yeah. if, but if you know the ideological history of you know, certain strains of, of uh, American populism and just like, you know, Euro-American um, far-right conservatism, uh, th you know, they literally invented the term anti-Semitism. So, so that, that's the thing that's always been bothering me. And what a lot of those people would counter with would be to say that the anti-Semitism today in their minds, isn't coming from Trump or, 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 or the Trumpian movement. It's coming from pro-Palestinian college students, so on and so on. Uh, it's mm. coming from Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. And Trump is protecting Jews, even before the executive order, from you know, the anti-Semites of the left. And then th that would maybe be like the hardcore Jared Kushner response. And then there's maybe the center of the road response that you hear a ton which is both. Sort of both, it's the left and the right, they're both doing it. Yeah. 
And I have a very, very passionate and strong opinion that has been modified by, by um, December. But I'll tell you the opinion, then I'll tell you how it's modified, and, and then I'll stop there. Okay. The, the opinion is start from who is going to hurt Jews, physically hurt. You know, and I'm from Kansas City where there was a white supremacist shooting at my, the Hebrew Day School that I went to um, and at the geriatric center where my grandmother was in like the last weeks of her life, you know, and this guy killed three people. Um, yeah. This white supremacist is in 2014. Um, yeah, I remember that. I was, yeah, worried about you. But you weren't there, your family. I, I was on a... I was like on the way to getting on a plane to go home. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I talk about how that was emotionally. I mean, it was a horrible experience. But I mean, this is like, you know, years of therapy, different episode. Um, <laughs> the point is like the people who are going to hurt Jews, this was not, you know, are from our white supremacists. All the data of, uh, about the upsurge in anti-Semitism points to that. That's who's committing the anti-Semitic acts. Even in New York, even in the last year, a majority of anti-Semitic acts were committed by white people, not by black people. Um, That's crazy. Can I interrupt you there? Because I remember seeing a movie which was about this kind of, like, by an Israeli documentarian, which he, this guy went to New York and was like, oh, I hear there's tons of anti-Semitic abuse and crimes are on the rise, and basically did this expose, which was arguing that pretty much uh, the ADL was encouraging the Jewish community to like over report hate crimes. Like whenever a black kid would like throw something at a school bus or something, they would say it was a hate crime against Jews. Um, So that gave me possibly the false impression that like all of these hate crimes were coming from, you know, basically Brooklyn intra neighborhood tensions, which may or may not have all been hate crimes. You know what I mean? Like could have just been, other kinds of issues that were interpreted in that yeah, way, but yeah. We, we, I think we'll get to that down the line about like how we define that. And in the last six months, the anti-Semitic attacks in Brooklyn that have gotten the most attention have all been um, black on Jewish. When I say the most yeah. attention, the violent ones, the like, you know, people, like people getting slapped, like people like knockout where they like punched ultra-Orthodox guys in the face. But just statistically, this is from the Jewish Telegraphic Agency from the NYPD, uh, it's mostly white people. Forty alleged perpetrators were white, twenty-five were black, two were Hispanic, and two were Asian. Let to yeah. those guys. Let's have a conversation with them. I would love to too. But it's yeah. but it is actually interesting. So that over half of all hate crimes in 2018 and the first half of 2019 of all hate crimes in New York City were anti-Jewish. Um, yeah. And I'm what I'm seeing there is these people who are like, oh, well, you guys used to have a problem, but you don't have a problem anymore because now you're on top of white supremacy and like. Fuck that. So, so like, yeah, but I was starting from, you know, pre-December, I was saying, you know, who's going to hurt Jews? It's the far right. And in and, and my belief, and I, I, I think that this isn't self-evident, I think it requires elaboration, but like Ilhan Omar and Rashid Tlaib are not threats to Jewish Americans and are not anti-Semitic, even despite Ilhan Omar's thing about allegiance. I, I can argue for why that wasn't what tr- Trump's thing is. I think she was just being glib, like she was just trying to say. Well, she's talking about the a- AIPAC as a lobby. That is kind yeah. of their stated goal. She's not talking about American Jews. She's talking about an institution. She criticizes the Saudi lobby. She criticizes the gun lobby. She criticizes lobbies for you know what they you know try to get the government to do in the interest of their special interest, and that's that is yeah. AIPAC's interest. But I would argue though. Now, does Louis Farrakhan or does the Black Violence 
in Brooklyn, does that count as the left enough to justify people saying, oh, there's anti-Semitism on the quote left? Anyway, like, let's right? not necessarily combine Louis Farrakhan with these acts of violence. I mean, okay, I'm not, yeah, so I'm let's not trying to three, excuse three his views. Three different but, things. Yeah. So let's, yeah. let's say that like conspiratorial anti-Semitism, which you can have Farrakhan, you can have the black Hebrews in Jersey City, people who explicitly buy into this larger thing of conspiracy theories, right? Yeah. Then what you're trying to say, and I think it's true to an extent, although the more I've read about it, I've become less convinced of this, is that there's inter-neighborhood tension and it, behind the stuff that's happening to the Jews in Brooklyn, you know. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like reduce it fully to that. I think that people would like to reduce it fully to that because that makes them feel more comfortable. But obviously there is a strand of anti-Semitic thought that, that exists in a wide variety of communities, both that experience that interact with Jews on a daily basis and that have never met Jew, a single Jew in their life. You know what I mean? So I do think that there is that kind of transcendent idea of the Jew as harmful. And I think like we should get into that, honestly. Like, why is it that, that Jews get targeted by And why by are they minorities? punching ultra-Orthodox Jews and not going to the Upper West Side or the Upper East Side and punching liberal Jews? Like... Yeah. Well, that is like, th that's a good question. But I mean, I do think it's interesting because like, as you were saying earlier about the right wing anti-Semitism, I mean, like, that's something that struck me when I would, you know, when I was in high school and college, I would like look at uh, white, like racist forums, because I was just fascinated. I wanted to learn how they thought. And like, that was the thing that struck me was this idea that Jews were behind this kind of conspiracy of attacking like white racial purity. Uh, through a variety of means, the media, the economy, everything like that. So like Jews were like Jews were trying to attack them. And then on the other hand, for this is a theory that's pretty common, like for um, minorities who are anti-Semitic, I think they see Jews as like the closest white person. You know what I mean? And like they represent whiteness in a certain way. They represent white supremacy because white people are rich, Jewish people are rich. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. And like white people own everything, our landlord's Jewish. You know what I mean? And so like that's why this kind of tr like transcendent discourse about Jews can interact with a day-to-day -day life where you're living in a city and there are people who have some sort of power over you. Um, so it's a way of like, that's what people theorize. It's like a way of lashing out at whiteness by attacking Jews. That's what some people say. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I had that idea and I thought I was like so brilliant. And then it turned out like that's been around. <laughs> and like, I, I mean, I'm not I'm going to try to minimize. I think it's a really important point. And like, so I was reading this thing right before we started and some rabbinical student in the 40s wrote this essay about it. But I think it's it's an important point to to like open up, which is like, there's also a lot of violence against Jews in France. And so Jews, affiliated Jews, the more you're an affiliated Jew and you read your, like, your city's local Jewish weekly newspaper, you read, you know, the, the emails that, like, are, like, semi-news, semi, like, not, not news. Rumor. Rumor, yeah. uh, you know. You are going to always be, people who are immersed in that way are organizationally involved. You know, and they're involved with the organizations that are keeping track of this stuff also, the, you know, who are like, I think, have bona fide statistics, you know, those people are, are going to generally, and I come across them a lot, like I 
Jewish baby boomers, I guess I would say, who are going to be like, oh my God, France, it's so dangerous to be a Jew there. And what they don't perhaps know is that almost all the violence they're reading about, you know, whether rock thrown through a school, you know, all the way to including murderous violence, but but specifically the more common stuff would be like um, physical assaults or vandalism. That stuff is not happening in like La Marais, the very upscale, very Jewishly identified um, part of Paris in the center of Paris, right? It's happening on the outskirts in the uh, the, the Benleu, if that's pronounced right. Bon, you know, bon 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 yeah, you, you pronounce it. Um, I don't like I, I, I was taught maybe 15 years ago how to say it and I'm trying but mon, bon lui. the outskirt areas of French the suburbs cities, but not the suburbs but in there yeah, and there's the way it's organized there it's it's the more economically you know downtrodden communities live on the outs, outs, outskirts of town that's where both like brown and black children of immigrants from formerly French colonized countries in North and West Africa live, and that's also where Jews from former French colonies in North Africa, like Algeria, Tunisia, live also. Uh, many of those Jews are middle class, you know, maybe like one rung above the Muslim immigrants on the class thing, but they're not living in the Tony neighborhoods, and, and they're not living on the left bank and in the Paris of the Eiffel Tower and tourism, okay? They're living, in some sense, you could almost say like Hasidic Jews in Crown Heights, yeah. And you're a young, marginalized person of color in one of those communities. You can't take on all white people. And then here are these people who white or they seem white, but they're also very visibly identifiable as something different by the way that they dress. And I think it's really important and really significant that, it, you know, they're not going after they're going after Jews with like religious um, like kippahs and hats and side locks and because that thing of like hatred and suspicion of people who are different, I mean, that, and this is an important thing that the the left does miss, is that doesn't only move from top to bottom, right? It can thrive in every direction and it, and it, you know, it's not always about class and power. I think it's like, these people look suspicious and weird and different. I don't understand them, but also they seem to participate in whiteness, but I also feel like I can take them on without bringing all of whiteness to bear on me. You know, yeah, no, I think that that's what's like such a mind fuck about this whole phenomenon is that I would say, I mean, this might not be comprehensive, but there's at least three kind of like distinct figures which are the subject of like the anti Semitic imagination. Like, one is the religious Jew who's like this figure of disgust, right? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, that, like they're they're gross, like dirty, whatever. Um, then there's like the globalist George Soros, all powerful Jew, like, who's like they're they're kind of seen as yeah they're, they're in a certain way of a figure of disgust, and there is like certain physical ways that people uh, that anti-Semites like to portray them as, um, but it's also a figure of kind of awe and fear, right? They're all powerful, and then there's also the Israeli, which is totally different, like. You know, which is this totally different kind of anti. I think it overlaps like, uh, with the second one a little. It does overlap with the second one a little. Um, All powerful behind. And the I don't know of if like politics, Israelis, like... but that's the whole thing. And then I don't know if Israelis really fits into this model because, like, is someone who hates Israelis an anti-Semite? Well, that's a huge question. That's a huge question. Which you would have to answer tonight. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Uh, we um, can they, touch but on like it. people who people could hate, there are people who hate Israel and like they have a certain kind of thing in mind, right? So I would say like maybe it's not anti-Semitism in the strict sense, but people might hate, think that they hate Jews, but they're thinking of an Israeli, which is like a totally different kind of thing, like than thinking of a globalist George Soros or like a, a Hasidic Jew. So among you know the people I mean? who think that they hate Jews, like who do they, ha- who's their mental image that they're calling into mind? Is, That's is- what I'm trying to say. And there's totally different, you know, phenomenologies of but, that kind of hatred. There is, but, but like, I think that the way that they, the places where these Venn diagrams overlap is what's interesting to me because they don't all emerge Sue generis they you know there are oh yeah absolutely yeah you know like the conspiratorial thing it all goes back to the protocols of the elders of zion which is like there is like literally an ur text of this mindset um yeah no and there are you see cartoons where it's like the globalist jew is portrayed as a a, a visibly observant jew although obviously the powerful jewish people that we have in this world look like white people right i mean they are white people Effectively, whereas Hasidic Jews, you know, come see, come saw. Who knows? Yeah. Um, well, but uh, yeah, go ahead. So no, I th- some of the, t- the 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 takeaways here does black anti-Semitism as as one example. If, if my argument is that it's bo- the both sides is bullshit and the real threats are from the right, does this revise that? And so I think it it kind of revises it in, but in very specific ways. So one thing I would say is that like there is an idea on the left that Jews cannot be victims. Mm-hmm because they're white and whiteness, whiteness has like these like metonyms, like whiteness is capitalism or is settler colonialism or Zionism, you know? And, mm-hmm. and even in saying that, that, I think that's already starts to drift into, into anti-Semitism. but like the people can only be victims if they are victims of whiteness. And if Jews are white, then they can't ever be victims because they're on the other side, you know? And I think that like the idea that Jews can't be victims of, other victims or can't be victims of people of color is, is a huge problem, you know? And I think well, yeah, one of the basic ideas of like the anti-Zionist movement is these people were victims and then became perpetrators. Yeah. It's, um, it's ironic. It's, it's like a huge point of theirs, but they like have no capacity to see it in any other context, you okay. know, which is that victims can also be perpetrators. I ought to say, and we both ought to acknowledge at this point, I think that there are, lots of Jews of color and there are many black Jews. And yeah, in fact, yeah. I just learned some of our best recently friends. that, that, well, I, yeah, obviously I, I grew up knowing, uh, not, it's like, obviously it's not tons that, of them, that, but that like was, some that black was, Jews. That's both true, but was supposed to be the joke where people say some of my best friends are Jewish. <laughs> some of my life. best Jewish friends are black. Yeah. yeah. Um, I learned in an article about black Jews and they're in New York and they're, experience of the the recent the of the past few months that of like orthodox jews in new york something like 10 or 15 percent are are actually black and that's for a number of reasons Mm. you know there's there's mixed race people there's with maybe one jewish parent i don't know if that's very common in the orthodox community it's quite common in the reformed community then there's people who convert themselves there's people who parents converted and obviously there are like Jews from Africa, particularly the Ethiopian community. And there's all sorts of whatever fraught questions about who's a Jew and who's not. But we should mention that like those people are really kind of getting it from both sides uh, at this point. And it really sucks for them. 
Yeah, I mean, this is already such a clusterfuck of issues, even, you know, and like before, like second you think about the fact that especially, you know, in a lot of these communities, there's people who are in both communities. And so like, and I agree that like, it's a huge problem if people start to overly draw this line that like between blacks and Jews in New York. And there's a columnist at Haaretz who is like, that's bullshit because blacks and Jews Blacks and religious Jews also live in close quarters in Chicago and in Cleveland and in other urban in Baltimore and like and, and these the violence that's been happening in New York has not been happening there. So mm. there's probably something specific going on in Brooklyn. And I think you know some of this stuff becomes like copycat. But that uh, a ta- one takeaway for me is that the left has to correct for that and has to speak to legitimate feelings of Jewish victimhood. The left's position can't be. Jews are only victims if a Nazi does it. Jews are only victims yeah. if it's a bad white guy. You know? I mean, I, I, can, I can speak a little bit to the leftist approach because I just read something, which was a pretty good sum- summary of it, uh, the kind of socialist uh, approach to anti-Semitism, if you'd like to hear it. Tell me. I've been talking a lot. So first of all, I'd like to say like the, the way I kind of think about discrimination, and I'll try and be quick about this, but, it, but like there's, to me, three different kinds of vocabularies that people use to think about and describe and deal with the problem of any kind of discrimination. And like the first one is like preferred by conservatives, I would argue, but everyone kind of thinks about it, which is like more of a religious thing. It's about your belief, what's inside you. You know, I don't have a racist bone in my body, that kind of thing. So it's, if someone's a racist, it's because they believe, they assert a certain like set of ideas. So if Trump meaning, believes that he's not racist, it doesn't matter what he says. because or what? No, I mean, I think that it, it, according it, it, to it this view, like according very, to this view, it sets a very high bar for being racist because someone has to say, I believe that you know, X group is inferior to yeah. this other group for these reasons. Which, you know by the I mean? way, is also what's crazy about anti-Semitism. Jane Coaston also pointed this out. It's most racism's prejudice based on inferior, and this one's based on superior, you know. Yeah, and in, in certain ways. I would say that they definitely think their Jews are inferior in other ways. But in any case, um, that's, the, that's the kind of religious belief-based vocabulary dealing with prejudice. Then there's a second vocabulary, which I think that liberals tend to, to lean on a lot, which is like the social ill kind of idea. It's a malady. It's a disorder in society. And we need to, you know, apply therapeutic policy solutions to manage and hopefully like cure this, this social ill of discrimination. Because like who, who would ever be, who would ever be racist? Who would ever, like how crazy do you have people to be? People aren't born racist. They're, people they're aren't born by... tabula rasa. Yeah. And it's the, some kind of but problem. By the way, they, the, one of the first things they've been trying in Brooklyn is, you know, like more Holocaust education. Apparently there's actually been some success with it, like for, you know, school children. But that, yeah. but it's, uh, that that's coming from drawing on the same sort of liberal paradigm of like, you kind of yeah. educate people out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Like education as therapy. Um, and then there's the leftist idea, which is that this is like structural. It's built in somehow. It performs a function. Anti-Semitism performs a function within society. And that's why it's a feature. It's not a bug. It's not an illness. So and what, um, and what does it perform? So 
I will say this. First of all, I would say that in general, when like leftists deal with individual cases of anti-Semitism, they tend to not rely on the kind of structural vocabulary that they tend to use. They tend to like fall back on this very kind of high bar conservative, like does this person affirmatively believe that Jews are evil or whatever? So I think that that's a problem. I think that like Jews, uh, Jews, leftists have sometimes a little bit of a weakness of dealing with anti-Semitism oh. personally <laughs> yeah. in terms of like their analytic, like their, their ability to analyze it. But, but I read an, I read an essay that was actually did a very good job of it by, mm, I forget his name, but I did assume that he was Jewish based on <laughs> his name. Um, and the idea is that in any social system, whether it was feudalism or capitalism or even socialism in the USSR, there are like social conflicts, contradictions, inequalities. And when there's really dangerous anti-Semitism is when there's a kind of collusion between the elites who use Jews as a scapegoat for these inequalities or social ills and the masses who kind of use anti-Semitism as like, quote unquote, the socialism of fools, right? Yeah. So like they blame... Uh, They blame the Jews for their misery and the elites decide, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could get people to focus on the Jews as a source of the misery instead of us? And that's when like things get really dangerous. So that's why. Although that doesn't explain Farrakhan because he's not an elite in that sense. Right. Well, that's why I don't see him as much of a of a problem, more of just like a curiosity. But you know what I mean? I'm not worried about like, but. Five people were killed based on. Well, they were black Israelites. Okay, they were they black Israelites, but I mean, as you started explaining who black Israelites are by being like, they're people who believe in like <laughs> Farrakhanian conspiracies about Jews, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, for sure. It's 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 all in the kind of it's it's in the kind of ecosystem for sure. And I do think so. Like, yeah, I don't know, but I mean, so, so that so 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 that's whole question is it like a systematic thing? But I do think if you if you're thinking of prejudice and racism and all these kind of inequalities as as structural as like they're built into the system right that's how it's supposed to work well i think if you're not a liberal if you think like well the 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 system is great but there's yeah, just some yeah, little problem no, we th- just yeah, have to that's like, like the typical sort of like liberal versus left you know argument about everything but like just to get back to the particulars of this though i mean i definitely go for it. i think it would be such a systemic like missing the forest for the trees, the trees for the forest to be like, oh, Farrakhan's just a curiosity. I'll, I'll, you know, I mean, I guess I think I disagree with you. I mean, you, you, I mean, you're giving Trump and Farrakhan both like more. Uh, I'm not really concerned about like what's in their heart. Obviously. I'm not concerned about what's in, in their heart either. Their... I'm just saying that they put rhetoric into the world that people that motivates people to hurt real Jewish people in the world. They help people cross the motivational bar from maybe they'd considered it to I think this is worth doing or from they had not considered it to I think this is a thing that I should do. And people are... I think you can like you can locate it in a person with Trump and that's that's fine with me. With Farrakhan, I don't know that you can really necessarily like convince me necessarily... I mean, obviously he's an asshole. I'm not like a fan or anything like that. But to, to, to blame him... For these recent attacks, I'm, no, no, okay, I'm not. I almost feel like he's more like a reflection of something that's like an undercurrent that's there. You know, I'm with not all um, communities blaming him personally for these attacks. I'm just saying 
the kind of conspiratorial rhetoric that he puts into the world. Um, and, and I'm not blaming, you know, what I'm saying about, I don't know, like, I feel like you're holding up the super conservative high bar. Like, I, I, I'm trying to lower the bar. I'm saying, you know, you put certain... Oh, he's an anti-Semite, for sure. No, 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 I'm no, not, I'm not I'm talking not... about anti-Semite. I'm saying the conspiratorial set of beliefs mm-hmm. um, that, you know, like, so right after the shooting, um, one of the city council people in Jersey City said that the Jews are brutes. Um, really? Did you hear about that? So, this uh, is depressing, man. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always depressing you. This was from, uh, again, Jane Koston's article. So, by the way, Farrakhan uh, last year blamed Jews for transgender people. He said, quote, Jews are responsible for all this filth and degenerate behavior that Hollywood is putting out, turning men into women and women into men. That's also a huge part of this is it's a homophobic thing that Jews are behind these conspiracies to weaken the black man. Um, it's a complete mirror of white supremacy. Yeah, like yeah, that's what like that's supremacy. what white racists talk about um, on their forums and stuff. Yeah, um, you know, black women become lesbians because Jews have like weakened black men. All this kind of stuff mm-hmm. like that. But it's it's super out there. Yeah. Um, so the Jersey City Board of Education trustee Joan Page. Um, it was actually sorry, I've been saying five. It was four people that were killed in Jersey City. Afterwards, she wrote on Facebook. Where was all this faith and hope when black homeowners were threatened, intimidated, and harassed by I want to buy your house brutes of the Jewish community? And like, you know, you got like Tamika Mallory has said stuff. Like Tamika Mallory was actually at the speech where Farrakhan said that Jews are... One of the, one of oh, the yeah. founders of the Women's, the Women's March. March. Right. So the speech where he said that Jews are behind um, trans movement... She was at that speech and like took a picture with him afterwards. Said he's the greatest of all time, and she said that like a big Farrakhan conspiracy theory, which has like you know very no basis in like historical fact, is that like the Jews were behind the transatlantic slave trade. That's incredibly widespread. I don't think he's the originator of that. Like uh, he's not the original thing. Is like he, he's he is he reflects and like transmits a lot of stuff that I think is out there. Uh huh. Like this. Like, dark do you think like Elijah Muhammad? I mean, it can't be that old. It's, I, bet, I bet it's like a post-war thing. Maybe. I mean, yes. But like for the record, Jews were involved in trade in the Netherlands. Um, that doesn't mean they like decided let's be the only five Dutch Jewish families. We're like, we're going to do all of the slave trading. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very harmful idea. and it, But I think it is fairly widespread it's not just like you know in the nation of islam but i think he probably picked up on that rather than invented it himself there's yeah, like yeah yeah um but anyways I, I think that what some people would say to us at this point is like well what about jewish racism okay i, I have something to say people? about and that. i would say here's what i would say obviously you go first then I'll... we're way we're way against that <laughs> but it's like not as interesting to talk about because it's kind of like an open and oh no i shut case yeah no i actually i don't think it's open shut and i think it is interesting i think american jews are interpolated into two forms of white racism okay okay i think that there's the domestic american racism against blacks and then there's this kind of international racism against arab and muslims yes the latter racism by interpolated what do you mean exactly by interpolated i will explain okay I won't define interpolated here. I'll just explain what I mean in the in this specific case. That's probably better. Yeah. Okay. The latter one. Let's just start. Like in America, there is a type of racism against Arabs and Muslims, mm-hmm. and it makes sense that 
um, to me, it makes some sense, not justified at all. Obviously, it's bad. That, but that American Jews buy into that, propagate it to some, some American Jews propagate it, spread it, you know, are okay with it. Because Jews, American Jews do feel ethnic solidarity with Jews who are under threat all over the world. The Jews who are under threat, most Jews who are under threat of physical violence on earth are Jews who are in Israel. And the violence that they're under threat from, you know, and I'm not putting whether justified or not or resistance or terrorism or whatever, just like there is violence against Jews, you know, by Arabs and Muslims. So under the sort of like correlative property of ethnic solidarity, you know, I get why Jews who don't think about this stuff in very complicated ways, but are just like, ooh, those people are hurting my people over there. They probably hate me. So I hate them like something like that. The anti-black racism, I think, is, is much more interesting to parse out mm-hmm. because I think that it basically, I mean, it's, it, there's a, a really complicated history here, but I think that to the extent that Jews have been allowed to assimilate into whiteness, they've absorbed some of, you know, white paranoia, white prejudice, white racism. And so I feel like it, it kind of comes with suburbia. Like you get a house, you get a lawn, and you get certain views about you know affirmative action and certain views about suspicion of black leaders and attitudes about like busing or whatever like these sort of you know in the 70s and 80s there were you know from patrick Moyn- daniel patrick moynihan and the democrats you know across the republicans there were sort of mainstream backlash to the civil rights movement that was uh, i think happening at the same time that jews were really kind of you know, being inducted into white suburbia. Yeah. And I think that, you know, again, most Jews are, if you pull them, are like on the left or on like what you and I would say is like the correct, morally correct side of these issues. But I think there's an extent to which like once you're granted entrance to whiteness, you know that you, you shouldn't fully demolish you know, there's this belief that you shouldn't fully demolish the power structure that gave you relative safety or relative prosperity even, you know? And I think that's what, like, I think that's, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about, like, the breakdown of this, you know, mythical black-Jewish partnership in the civil rights era. Yeah, there's, that's a whole that, other that's thing. I think that's what a lot of the, the thing, on the too. black side, that's what they say is like, well, you got to be white and you bought in to a certain extent. And you didn't continue the work. You instead accepted some of the benefits of it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, that's for sure, I think, applies to many people. I think it's also probably believed about many people on whom it doesn't apply. But I think that there, there was a, a, a bipartisan, you could say, agreement in the mainstream. Democrats, Republicans, you know, mainstream left, mainstream right, that we don't talk shit about Jews that, you know, started in maybe the 60s or 70s and I think continued up until Trump, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, no one... Can you imagine any other candidate running for president in the, in the last... since the 60s and saying, like, I don't, you want to own your politicians, but I don't need your money, you know? Like, um, and so until Trump, there's this idea that, like, you know, if whites allow us that, we don't want... Like, anyone who wants to just totally overthrow the, the existing system of power, that that's a little scary. And so we're maybe not down with that kind of hard left, people of color solidarity. I, again, I think that there's also, you know, when we talk about Jews, are we talking about 
the more than half of American Jews who don't really even affiliate with Jewish life but are, are liberal and, you know, lead to people to think that all Jews are liberal. Are we talking about Sheldon Adelson yeah. and, you know, are we talking yeah, about... Yeah, but Adelson I mean, or? I think that if you, I would say, like, I, I see what you're saying. Like, there's obviously, there's diversity, so we, we don't want to generalize too much, but it is true that Jews became, like, were granted access to the benefits of whiteness at some point. Yeah, that's And I would also yeah. say that, like, this didn't just... It didn't just happen to Jews. Like, some Jews also, like, were racist people. You know what I mean? Some Jews were civil rights advocates and, like, fought... Well, we were disproportionate. Um, and, I think it's documented that we were disproportionately involved in the civil rights. Yes, movement. but that doesn't necessarily... Like, but, that, but, yes, they were. Um, we were, if you want to say we. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, like, many Jews simply became white people who had the same well, but, racism against black people. Like that, but that also, was like, minorities yeah. hate each other anyway. That's also what I was, that's yeah. what I was also thinking. So like, is it because Jews became white? So that's the whole thing. Cause what? you're talking about going to the suburbs. So like, is it because Jews moved out to the suburbs and became white and they became that kind of racist? Or is it because, is it because they stayed in the cities and they were like in these, you know, like I was talking about the interneighborhood well, thing, the, because the, like yeah, the Hasidim stayed in the cities, and yeah, so those are different kinds of phenomena, I, yeah, I think right? Because like, strains, it, but like, there's different you know, different groups of people live in cities together, and like that's a well recorded phenomenon that like minorities don't always get along with each other either. Um, yeah, but does that is that like the same thing as racism? Because like, there's a very strong mm. kind of mandate these days to say like racism means you have to have power over the yes so there's a power relationship is, i i said so, and, and i think that that's an important thing to kind of refute okay t t two things you put a tape recorder and i you know in a at the dinner table of any minority group over the course of a year you're gonna hear in any family you're gonna hear them talk a lot of shit about other minority groups like would anyone disagree with that like you know more or less like you know, yeah. Well, also, like, I would say like, what, let's not excuse white people like the majority. No, no. Well, I, I mean, that goes without. It's, it, but if, if if the assumption is white people are racist, but no one else is 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 racist, like there's prejudice. So prejudice is yes, yes. Okay. It's like very common. Yes. My point is that racism um, isn't something that only travels from to like from top to bottom, and it isn't always about class and power and structure. Okay, because and a, a conspiracy theory about a group of people that they control the whole world that motivates some people to want to hurt or kill those people, that's racism. If that's not racism, and like, honestly, I, I, like this is another, I want to write a thing about, I want to retire the word anti-Semitism and, and okay. the word anti-Zionism. I think that they're useless terms. I think that they allow people to hide behind things and they perpetuate deniability. Why don't you explain that? And we'll wrap it up on that point because that's a kind of that's an action item we can work on. You know, let's get rid of these. Let's words. get rid of these words. Anti-Semitism, for one thing, people—it's like a mouthful. <laughs> um, it is the original idea behind racism was anti-Semitism. It's intellectual genealogy. You know, racism wasn't just this thing that was happening that anti-Semitism happened. The idea that there are races came from the idea that of that there's a Semitic race and that it, it is a threat to the Aryan race, you know, in, 
1870s Germany. Like a guy made up a word. He said so. Like Wilhelm Marr, I think. Yeah, was but but there was race. There was racial thought. I mean, like the, that's the whole kind of idea. It's like when does the modern racial like idea of race come into being? But like there were ideas of race before that. But yeah, maybe yeah. the modern idea, yeah. like the one we have now. Yeah, yeah. the one we have. The, the one we have now. So and so the same as there's anti-black racism and anti. It's based on, it is based on ideas of common descent, okay? It's based on ideas of blood ties when, when people are hate Jews in a collective way. And mm-hmm. I think that there's a, like, like, so with Jeremy Corbyn, he's like, well, I've been fighting racism my whole life. And so because I fight racism against people of color, you guys have to trust me that I'm not anti-Semitic. And I, it's like, ooh, but I, I don't think, like, you get a pass. Like, whether Corbyn's anti-Semitic or not, let's put that on the side. But people can say that because I'm not racist, um, how dare you accuse me of anti-Semitism? By the way, Jews run the world in this nefarious way, blah, 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 blah. You know? And that, that, well, that's the question of if he ever said that. But, like, the, I see what you're you, saying. You, like, you, saying? you don't get a pass. No, because, like it or not, Jews are a not necessarily unique but unusual group in the world. And anti-Semitism is an unusual, if not unique. But would it not be better to try to streamline this process a little bit? And like, like in France, they have like a task force against racism and another task force against anti-Semitism. And like, and so some people are like, that's bullshit. Why do the Jews get their own task force? And it actually... But because that's the whole thing is like Jews have, but there's like Jews come from multiple races. So that's, that's, that's the problem. I mean, like, I but understand what you're construct. saying. Like, why are you trying to, it's all constructs, but like a religion, I mean, there's, a, there's in a general sense, you understand the difference between when people like, are uh, racially, or when people are profiled on the basis of their appearance for being Muslim at the airport the shorthand for that is racism, right? Yeah, I don't think that's the best word for it, though. I mean, in, in, it's not. When I was in Germany doing, like, some activism on this, they were saying that the term that they were moving toward for, like, racismus was, like, instead of Islamophobia, it was um, anti-Muslim racism because it's it's predicated on, like, racist-type beliefs about Muslims. It's not... You know, it's mm. it's like a fear and a prejudice that works the way racism works. Even if Muslims aren't a race, it's it's not about what they actually are because there are no such thing as races. It's about how the belief system that is against them works. There's a the question of like, yeah, so how do we define these forms of prejudice? Is it based on what we believe, what categories we believe exist? Because then we don't believe any of these categories exist. Well, or is it like whether it, it's... It, religion is it in exists. the mind of the... Is it in the mind of the racist anti-semitic otherwise prejudiced person like are those the categories that matter like you were saying according to the law what matters is what the person thought you know mm. if he attacks a sikh thinking he's oh, a muslim okay. yeah he's still he's of... still guilty you know what i mean yeah so like these people think of what well, they think racism exists and that's why that's why racism is a problem and they think they think Jews exist as this race global. Do they think it's a race? I think they think it's like a global cabal of people, just like a degenerate. Maybe they do think it's a race. But the reason that you can attack any one Jew is but they because don't include. 
Yeah, but they don't include Yemeni, like Yemeni well, Jews, that's just Ethiopian like ignorance Jews, and shit. even Greek Jews. You know? I mean, I mean, that's like how people say, like, oh, Israel's like a white settler colonial state. Israel may be a settler colonial state, but like, uh, let me tell you, like, especially if you look at like who is the most in favor of settler colonial policies, is not the you know, it's not the Ashkenazi, it's not the Ashkenazi yeah. Jews. So like, if a Yemeni. Whatever, okay, like, forget the hypothetical. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. just saying that, like, it's a smokescreen. It also makes Jews seem like they're asking for everyone to learn this bespoke, tailored, extra yeah. thing for them. Like, you guys all have to learn about anti-Semitism. And, pe- and I just feel like when the average person who's just, like, doesn't follow this stuff in the weeds, um, just he- average American of any race, hears anti-Semitism, they're like, oh, this is, like, extra homework. Like, I know I'm not supposed to be racist, but I don't really know what anti-Semitism is. Does it... Like, I haven't seen it. What is it? You know? And so I think there's just like an efficiency thing there. Because for all... Fair enough. But then that wouldn't like... But then like subsuming it under racism doesn't make sense. Because racism is like a subcategory of of what we're talking about, which is like discrimination, right? I mean... Mm, I I think subsuming it under racism does... First of all, anti-Semitism doesn't make any sense because... Semites like you know, Louis Farrakhan had this thing of like we don't hate Semites we like Arabs he says I'm not anti-Semitic I'm anti-Jewish well that's the most that's the most fucked up thing right because anti-Semitism was a term that was invented by like some French sociologist no, G- in the 19th century right German, German yeah yeah so it's based on a race racial idea that like Jews are a race right because we're Semites but like yes I I hear that all the time Oh, anti-Semitic? Like, yeah, but we don't have a problem with Arabs, so we're not. Even from, like, from from white anti-Semites as well. Well, It's so stupid. It's just like, but that's like a completely, like, that's just a troll. I I can't accept that as a, a, you're talking about Jew hate. Like, well, that's what we're talking about. Jew hate is a better term. What I'm talking about is like, you hate a people on the basis of a belief that they have a common biological connection to one another that is tied to something evil that they all participate in or benefit from on the basis of that identity. There may be yeah, Rothschilds, okay. but like the like so the the shooters in Jersey City had a post online earlier about Rothschilds, but they weren't like going into that supermarket being like, "Hey, is your last name Rothschild?" And the reason they weren't is because of racism. Right? Yeah. So Yeah, I see what you mean. Well, I don't know. I also I mean, want to retire Zionism to and I think it it, it ties it for the same reasons is that it makes it like it's this different thing. It's Jewish nationalism. And let me give you one last example and we can stop on this one. Okay. Okay. There are, you know, legitimate ways to be critical of the regime in Iran. Right. But then many people, especially on the left would agree that there are certain ways of criticizing Iran that are playing on racial stereotypes about Muslims. And, you know, they're all like barbaric. They only understand violence, you know, whatever that whole, like they're like fanatical blood curdling scream, whatever that whole vocabulary, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But that's, well, that's what's so funny about Iran is because they're like, Oh, Iran was all like hot babes and like cool music for 1979. Like they were so tight. And then like all of a sudden, this Iran might like, be like a, a silly example because it has, but like I feel like yeah. John Bolton flirts. No, absolutely, but it combines the two, like it combines the two sides of Orientalism so perfectly. So, yeah. Anyways, the, yeah. that's like for people I feel like we're more like literate with it. But like you know, you know, tr- even Trump, you know, in, in some of the rhetoric with you know the ban and whatever, I think no one would argue that even though Iran is a country 
that as a state does really bad things like hangs gay people and hangs drug dealers and like you know foments unrest abroad or whatever the fuck like no one would disagree with that yet people would also say that there's a way of criticizing that country that is like playing on like racist or i'll take racist out of it take the debate out of it but playing off of like fucked up objectionable beliefs about this group of people yes Yet the very same people who make that point cannot see that it's the same with Israel. Like, yes, this country does fucked up stuff, but there's a way of talking about the people who are in that country that is objectionable. And, you know, and it sees behind. And and again, it's like Jews can never be victims because, you know, like to a right wing, hardcore Islamophobic person, Muslims are never victims, probably. And. You know they're they're always at fault because they're the aggressor, like all. Yeah, they didn't they didn't condemn Hamas and Hezbollah enough, so that's why when they got bombed by the IDF jet, like no, that's why when the American jet bombs some dude in Yemen, like that's allegedly okay because some dude in Palestine didn't like celebrate nine eleven or something. Yeah, so you know. We, we see that and we're like, that's, that's like, you know, not okay. And z- the term Zionism and the term anti-Zionism and I'm anti-Zionist, I'm not anti-Semitic, all those terms that like try to take Israel as a country and Jews as a, as a people and, th- and put them into these boxes so that you can like hate them in a way that in any other case wouldn't be okay. Those are bullshit terms. And like, fuck those terms. You know, be like, be like, you know, you want to criticize the country, criticize the country the way any other country gets criticized. But you don't have to start saying stuff about like you can criticize the Chinese government in a way that doesn't implicate Chinese Americans who may have strong fellow feelings for Chinese people in China. Right. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. And I do think that there have been examples where that might be important where like Jewish groups, for example, like in uh, gay pride marches in recent years, I've heard that Jewish groups wanted to get involved. And then there was a whole kind of kerfuffle where organizers were like, are you going to wave Israeli flags? Or are you going to wave the, the, the star of a David? Jew, a Jewish star or like in, at, at, a Jewish star, at Emory and University, Zionist. they posted, this yeah. is, uh, I think a really important example. The Students for Justice in Palestine posted eviction notices on the dorm room doors of people who had mezuzahs. A mezuzah is a Jewish ritual object. It has nothing to do with the state of Israel. But it's like you're yeah. Jewish, so you're implicated in what Israel does. You know, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, I see everything you're saying. I do think that at a certain point, people who are critical of Israel, the government of Israel, not every Israeli person get exasperated because they're constantly told that they're anti-Semitic and they they might kind of feel like no matter what they say, they're going to be accused of anti-Semitism because not everyone is as like sensitive and, you know, well-read and like as, as you are, right? Like there's some people who are going to cynically call anyone who criticizes Israel anti-Semitic. So, so sure. I think that For at sure. certain But who are you talking about? Are those the people you're worried? I mean, like, should No, but I think that, but what I'm saying is uh, that that's why on the like anti-Zionist, maybe we shouldn't call it anti-Zionist, pro-Palestinian, in the pro-Palestinian activist milieu, people 
have developed a kind of strategy of being flippant um, and ironic and like kind but of isn't dismissive of, of accusations. News are like, oh, you, you you call us racist no matter what. I bet you're going to think it's racist that I say jigaboo or something. Yeah, but like, like yeah, you, we do think that, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's but that's and that that's a very common like it's a it's that's what a lot of like these Bernie guys on Twitter like they were called sexist, so they end up being flippant and like being ironically sexist on Twitter a lot. Um, and you might not like that, but but might some of them actually also be sexist all along? I'm sure some of them are actually sexist, and some of them aren't, and some of them are just like hurt by the implication that they are sexist and are dealing with it that way as a defense mechanism. So I guess my point is... I mean, it's exasperating to me, too, when there is a world that doesn't let any criticism happen without saying that, and it cheapens cheapens the accusation, but that's always going to... There's always going to be groups that accuse, that, that say, oh, you're fucking with my group no matter what you say, and you can't let them define what you say, you know? Yeah, no, what, I guess what my point is, is that, like, there's, there's so many, like, overlapping lenses of interpretation that are happening here and, like, intentionality. And I find it really hard to get to the bottom of any of this. But I would say that there are lots of people, especially on the left, liberals too, are committed to Palestinian liberation and also will defend Jews against anti-semitism yeah and we need to encourage that yeah like i I would say that would be the only that would be the only solution it's like argue forcefully for the rights of Palestinians, like in a in a in a positive way argue forcefully for the rights of palestinians also for the rights of jewish people not to be harassed um assaulted killed for their religion you know what i mean yeah yeah and I, I mean i think it can be a little more complicated than that like i i know a lot of people who i think fit the description you just you just had they're earnestly pro-palestinian earnestly bds in but they're like earnestly not anti-semitic at, at all even though they're accused of it all the time but i think that there's also i i would say even to some of them personally like there could be a little bit better policing in that context i mean i think it also requires just like in you know, this is a thing about like more education and understanding that things are complicated. But that when Jews feel fellow feeling with Jews in Israel, that isn't the same as like supporting the Israeli government's like, you know, bombing Palestinians, you know, and yeah, yeah. understanding I, I, I those do backdoors. That... There's kind of like a lot of like identity backdoors that. That's what I would say. It's like, that's actually a complaint that I have is that. I, I don't think anti-Zionism is anti-Semitic, even though we have to retire both of those terms. I just, I'm using them for the last time. time. Yeah. But I do think that it is very common to see Jewish solidarity as defective somehow. So like it's natural for certain groups to identify, to have a group identification and to have solidarity with one another. But when Jews do it, people see it as kind of unnatural or... Um, unethical you know what I mean yeah I think of like in the Americans you know when the KGB chief at the US embassy is like oh these Jews they like they'll trade one of their own lives for like a thousand you know they're they're just like they're so tribal that was actually a brilliant he gave a really brilliant like gloss on like what how the Soviets would understand Jewish particularity 
Yeah, absolutely. But I but I thought that like, oh, that was really amazing because they think they think that we have the correct kind of solidarity and identification and and Jewish identification is 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 a problem and it's important to note that Israeli Jewish self-identification is like cross-racial, right? Theoretically. One would hope. Yeah, well that I mean that's not always in, in practice. That, like, it's, but, yeah. it's a multi-ethnic Jewish society. Like what's that, you know, like Okay, so I, I we didn't get to the bottom of it, but we figured out pretty much not, like 95%, would you say? I'd say like 195%. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, until next week when we talk about something else. Well, up, yeah. we promise we won't continue talking about Jews, not because we're anti-Semitic, because that word no longer exists, but because we're not as narcissistic and self-obsessed in 2020 as we were last year. And so, As all of you guys are. We're going to just be all different topics 2020. Bye. All right. Bye.